as Katie and Scott were um, singing, uh, I, was, I thought back to years ago, I heard a, a minister of music say, you know, sometimes I think we get this church thing kind of confused, and uh, we kind of think like uh, God is the director, and uh, the, the, the ministers are the actors, and then the congregation are, that's the audience. And he said, that's absolutely wrong. He said, he said the ministers are the directors. You are the actors. And God is our audience. He's the focus of everything. I wish I could sing like Katie. I just think that would be so cool. But I can't. But what I can do, what we can do together, is we can focus on this audience of one, and our heart can sing to him today. May that be our desire. As we open God's word today, may we hear the Spirit of God read through his words. 2 Chronicles 14.8. 2 Chronicles 14.8. Now Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah, bearing large shields and spears, and 280,000 from Benjamin, bearing shields and wielding bows. All of them were valiant warriors. Now Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots, and he came to Merishah. So Asa went to meet him, and they drew a battle in battle formation in the valley of Zephatah in Merishah. Then Asa called to the Lord, his God, and said, Lord, there is no one besides you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, O Lord, our God, for we trust in you. And in your name have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. So the Lord routed the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Asa and the people who were with him pursued them as far as Gerar, and so many Ethiopians fell they could not recover, for they were shattered before the Lord and before his army. And they carried away very much plunder. They destroyed all the cities around Gerar, for the dread of the Lord had fallen on them. And they despoiled all the cities, for there was much plunder in them. They also struck down those who owned livestock, and they carried away large numbers of sheep and camels. Then they returned to Jerusalem. Would you pray with me? Where do we start, O oh Father? You are our Father, and we are your children. And we rejoice. You are our Savior and we are your servants. And we thank you for this great privilege. We pray, Lord, that you would forgive us of any ways that we have fallen short this day or this week. And we confess truthfully that there have been times that we so easily fell into wrong thoughts. We left things undone that we felt called to do. We have fallen short. But, oh Lord, we come and we ask for your forgiveness. 
and cleanse us. So there would be no barrier that would be between us. So that we could hear your spirit clearly. That you would speak first, last, and loudest in all things. Because we are your children and have come to worship you today. May your heart be blessed by what you experience in ours. In Jesus' name, amen. What an incredible story, this passage. The Israelites were outnumbered almost two to one. The enemy had 300 chariots. Those are kind of like the main battle tanks of today, and the Israelites had none. In other words, they were outnumbered almost two to one. They were out, uh, they had superior technology against them. They had no expectation of victory, and so they stopped and they prayed. Amazing story. I love this story. It's just, it just inspires me as I, as I look at it, as I read it even again this morning. But the question would be, what does that have to do with us today? Brothers and sisters, I think it has everything to do with us today. I wouldn't bring it before you if I didn't think that. But I truly believe this is the most important thing that I could share with you today. Where does this story intersect with the life of Jonesboro Baptist Church? Well, consider the opposition that we stand against. We stand against a culture that seems absolutely numb to the need for God. For most of my life, I didn't even believe that was possible. But I look around today and the world seems numb to the need for God. We're a land of such abundance and privilege, and we've come to believe that somehow this is what we deserve. And it's just numbed us to the realization, to the reality that everything that we have is a gift of God, a blessing from Him to be used for the furtherance of His kingdom. The culture is bought into the idea that there is no absolute truth, there's none found in the Bible. We think about those that drive by on Sunday morning and we kind of think that as they, you know, they drive by, they certainly must feel guilty because they're not in here. I've come to the point in my life where I just think they're not even thinking about us at all. They're not thinking about faith. Number two, we stand within a, a culture, although they talk about freedom for all and everyone gets along with everyone, but the truth seems to me to be that they're just openly hostile and aggressive toward people of faith in his church. It's not live and let live. It's the open and angry attacks against people of faith and his church. Third, we stand within a church that is in decline. Statistics tell us that 85% of all churches in America are either plateaued or in decline. And this church, since 1971, is part of that statistic. Number four, we stand within a church that is aging. Thank, thank God for the faithful that I look at, my brothers and sisters that I'm so proud of, but we are an aging congregation. And, and the truth is that that Age inhibits some of our abilities to reach out and to minister in our community and around the world. Fifth, we stand between a culture and church where church 
And things of faith seem to be an option of many. Over the years, I've officiated many funerals here. And I've sat with the children, and I've listened to the stories about their lives with their, with their mom and dad. And they've told me about such deep faith where it was like vacations always started after church on Sunday morning because daddy had to come and be an usher on Sunday morning. Or, or, or dad had to be back, so we, we came back Saturday night so that we could be in church on Sunday morning. And so often I've heard, you've heard the expression, and, and many of you are the same way with your kids today. I'm thankful for it. When the church doors are open, man, we were expected we were going to be there. But today church and communal worship seem to be an option and not the priority. And church members sometimes feel like they're volunteers as opposed to Christ followers. We're, we're not volunteers, man. We are Christ followers. Each one of us who's been given a wonderful spiritual gift to build up his kingdom. Number six, we stand in a church within a community that no longer looks like the community. We know outside those doors, you know, if we were to consider all of the different people outside and look at it like a pie, the pie is broken down in one-third, one-third, one-third. One-third Caucasian, one-third African-American, one-third Hispanic. And we also know that people won't usually come to church if it's about five or ten miles away from their home. And so if this is our community and we're not looking like our community, we have significant challenges ahead of us. Culture, community, church, challenges within, challenges without. A trend line that has been in continual decline for 48 years. A trend line, listen now, if left unchecked will result in reduced ministries, reduced staff, and reduced facilities within the next three to five years. And it doesn't matter to me. It does not matter to me that it, we're just part of a statistic. It's just the way it is. 85% of all churches. I don't, I care about that. But it's not my calling. But this is my church. This is my church. Not by ownership, but by responsibility. This is our church not by ownership, but by responsibility. He has given us this gift of this body of Christ, these facilities, these, these brothers and sisters to reach out into the community and reach out into the world. This is our responsibility. And over the years that I've been here, your pastor, going on six years now, I've heard people say, well, I'm going to go to this church because, well, the, you know, the music is different or, or they, have, they offer this. And I'm just like, my goodness, every person that has joined this church while I've been here, I ask him the same question. You know it if you've walked that aisle. Do you feel that the Holy Spirit has called you to serve in this place, to worship him and serve in this place? Yes. Then this is our church. And we are called to this place. This is the church of Jesus Christ. We confess that we love him for who he is and what he has done in our lives. And out of that love, we desire to do much 
with what he has entrusted us with. This is our church. This is our community. These are the ministries that reach across Sanford and around the world. And I sincerely hope that as I was going down that list of obstacles and the, the things that stand against us this day, that your, your mind was already racing ahead. You were already beginning to think, what shall we do? What can we do? What can we do? We must do something. Second Chronicles 14, 11. Then Asa called to the Lord, his God, and said, Lord, there is no one beside you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, O Lord, our God, for we trust in you and in your name have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let man not prevail against you. What must we do? We must pray. Now here's the problem when I say that. I think our attitude is, yes, of course we must pray, but then what are we going to do? What concrete things are we going to do? We must pray. What kind of prayer? In the Old Testament, we're introduced to a man named Jacob. And Jacob was a trickster. And his tricks had brought him to the point where he finds himself alone in the dark on the side of a stream named Jabbok. And in the dark, a man appears to him. In Genesis 32, it says this, Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh so that the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. In desperation and out of ideas and out of resources, Jacob wrestles with the man he discovers is not man, but is God. He wrestles not to overcome, but to hold on to God. He wrestles with God, refusing to let God go until he gives him a new name and a new character and a new future. And that's the kind of prayer that I'm talking about. Hannah was a woman who loved God and had a deep faith. She was also a woman who was unable to have children in a culture that valued that above all things. She was persecuted by another woman, and she was looked down on by her community. And out of ideas and in desperation, she came to the temple, and she prayed with passion for Samuel 1.10. She, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She prays with such an intensity that the priest thinks she's drunk. But Hannah replied, no, my Lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured, my, poured out my soul before the Lord. That's the kind of prayer I'm talking about. Second Chronicles 4.11, then Asa called to the Lord 
his God and said, Lord, there is no one besides you. There is no one besides you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, O Lord, our God. The scripture said Asa did what was right in the, Lord, in the Lord's eyes. He, he tore down the high places. He, he, he took away all the places of false worship. Asa led the people to seek God. He built up an army. He built up the cities. He built up the walls and the towers. But when the enemy came, listen, Asa relied on none of them, but rather he did what? He stopped and he prayed and he relied upon his God. Asa understood the severity of the situation and so he prayed. I assume that he led the entire army. I mean, the army was standing out there. They had the most to lose in the most immediate moment. They looked at the great army that stood against them. They must have prayed. There was no, there was no time for personal preferences. There was no time for disunity. There's no time for divisions. They had to stop. And united in spirit, as the scripture says, they prayed, they wrestled with God to hold on to him. They poured out their soul before God. They prayed as we must pray. On October 4th, 32 members of, of this church, of Jonesboro Heights Baptist Church, representing the the deacons and the staff and many key ministries of the church, we gathered at Ridgecrest Conference Center and we gathered to pray and to gather a fresh vision from God for the future of his church. That first Friday night, we met for over three days and for the first night we, we spent time in prayer and then we just stopped and I just asked them, won't you please share your heart's desire for the future of your church? Just share your heart's desire. And I sat there and I took notes and these are some of the things that they said. Listen, they said things like, we have a heart desire to be a unified church doing the will of God, his agenda, not ours. We have a heart's desire to be passionate about Jesus and excited about church. To be positive a positive church with deep relationships with God and one another. To confess proudly that this is not our church, but we are his church. We have a heart's desire to truly be a house of prayer. We desire the sanctuary to be filled with all ethnicities. We desire to be set free of the bondages that are holding us back. We desire to pass down a healthy and thriving church to the next generation for the glory of God and for the sake of our children. Does that sound right to you? And so we began to look at the concrete things we need to do to fulfill that vision. And I was very careful with these words. And I asked those present if I had captured their words and their thoughts and desires. And here's what they said. Are you ready? We believe that prayer must be the most important cultural change in our church. Prayer like those found in Acts 1 and 14. These all with one mind. One mind. No disunity. No divisions. 
There's no time. With one mind, we're continually devoting themselves in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. We're following the command of the scriptures, Isaiah 56. Even these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer. You see, they didn't get it, they didn't get it backwards. They, they didn't just bring their sacrifices and say we're good. They didn't just go through the motions. They made the temple a house of prayer so that their sacrifices were pleasing to God. A house of prayer for all the peoples. Is that the way that we pray? A few weeks ago, I had minor surgery and, and it caused me to be out on a Sunday morning. And so Sandy and I sat at home and we watched the service on my iPad. And uh, the music was a blessing. And um, the sermon was too. But what caught my attention the most was the prayer time that Scott led that morning. Now, I have this kind of weird thing, and I don't know, maybe I shouldn't have it, but when I'm watching a, a, a service, a worship service on TV, and, you know, and the pastor comes to the end and he says, let us pray, I just feel really weird about that. I don't know why. You know, it's like I know he prayed that six months ago or whatever, and I should just get over it, I know, but I always feel a little bit awkward. And so Scott that morning said, let us pray, and I should have closed my eyes, but I didn't. I just kind of watched and listened. And I don't want to make anyone feel self-conscious. Do you know what I saw? I've never seen so much adjusting in my life during our prayer time. I mean, we were, we, we were adjusting hair and clothes and swatting the children and adjusting our sheet music and our... And it was just adjusting going on. And it just made me wonder as I was sitting there in that moment. I, when we pray, are we wrestling with God? Are we wrestling for the needs of our church and for our community? Are we, are we fighting to center ourselves before the throne of God So that we might pray in the spirit? Or do we just see prayer as kind of like a transition period between the important things of the service? Scripture says, King Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. In, in many ways, I believe that Jonesboro Heights has done what's right in the eyes of the Lord. I truly believe that. Your, your ministry, as we, we go down the list of ministries that, that you lead, the kind of a, a grassroots underswelling that just keeps going year-round, it overwhelms me. You, you sacrificed and continue to sacrifice because you, you upgraded the facilities to make them inviting to the rest of the community. You, you love people as they come. You, you lavish them with welcome. I, I continue to hear that. What a welcoming church you are. But even so, with all of the obstacles that face us, it is essential 
that we are the people who get in the right fight, that we're wrestling with God, that we're crying out to him, that we're depending upon him for his intervention and for his victory. You know what? Listen, look, look up here. Don't worry about that. I, I was, I've been wrong about something. I, I, wanted, I wanted this church, you know, I had this vision that this church would be known as a soul-winning church. And that's admirable. I mean, it's important. And so I just thought, man, we, we got to be a soul-winning church. I want that for this church, but I've come to the point I realize that's not the first thing. The first thing is that we are known as a praying church, a wrestling church, one fighting to hold on to God so that he will give us a new future. And God has always worked through smaller groups of people that turn to him, that are willing to humble themselves before him. And when we do that, I believe that the soul winning will come, that people will begin to come that we didn't even invite to come because this is a place where God is honored and where he's worshiped and where we pray. John 15, four says this, listen to these words. You know them well, now hear them deep in your heart. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me, unless you pray with me, unless you wait upon me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Don't you want to bear much fruit for your father? Don't you want to bear much fruit? Don't you want to win souls for Christ? Right here. I'm so thankful for Janine for what you do, but you're absolutely right. You go there, we'll stay here, we'll support you, but man, our mission field is white unto harvest. But we gotta get in the right fight. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do what? Say it, nothing. Well, we don't wanna do nothing. So even now, even this moment, let us abide in him. Even this very moment, may this sanctuary be a house of prayer. Right now, right now, let us wrestle with God for his church and for his community. Listen, this is different. Relax. Maybe some of you would be willing to just Gather in small groups around the sanctuary. Just stand where you are and turn to those people behind you and just gather and, and pray for unity in the church. Others might pray that God will overcome the obstacles that we face. Not, not everyone will be comfortable with getting up or praying in small groups. Maybe just hold the hand of the person that's next to you and where you're seated, setting just pray that we might have a fresh, a fresh passion and love for Jesus. Perhaps some of you would like to come to the altar and just on bended knee and humbled heart just pray for the lost in our community. Pray out loud. Pray out loud 
and fill this sanctuary with prayer. And know that your prayer doesn't stop here, but is lifted by the Holy Spirit of God to the throne of God. Whatever it looks like, whether you pray silently sitting or whether you stand with hands raised or hold hands with those with you, around you, be without fear, be without self-consciousness because this is the will of God that we make his house a house of prayer. As our musicians play softly, be guided by the Holy Spirit. And won't you pray? Scott, where you are, let us pray.